First Corinthians chapter 13 verses 8 through 10 reads this way. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Have you given any thought as to why there are no prophetic signs given to the church age believers concerning the rapture of the church? There's a detailed account of the seven year tribulation and the calendar for the millennial reign of Christ and the ushering in of eternity. But concerning the rapture, there is only a prophetic review of characteristics of the church leading up to the rapture. And even that prophetic panorama view of the church age is open to interpretation. Jesus said, It is an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. We are to walk by faith. The Old Testament contains the writings of many prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And in addition to the books of the prophets, we have other prophetic writings uh, concerning the biblical characteristics. And yet even the spiritual gift of prophecy given to the church at its onset ceased with the closing of the book of Revelation. That passage in Revelation 22.18 says, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Why do you want to study Bible prophecy? Curiosity certainly motivates the study for a lot of people, but there's certainly a fascination with the future. I even went to a casting appointment for the role of sheriff in the movie Back to the Future 3. I didn't get the role I wanted, but was offered the role of a bartender. I had to decline because they were going to film on Sunday, and that interfered with my day job. The signs of the end times are important, but only as they inform us about God's plan. We need to be careful not to fixate on the signs themselves instead of focusing on the event or the purpose they point to. On the other hand, there's a danger of being so caught up in living life that we fail to recognize the developing signs that are around us. There is value in looking back in history to understand how previous generations of Christians understood the signs pointing to Jesus' return. We know that almost 2,000 years ago, the writers of the New Testament expressed their expectation that Jesus would come back very soon. Their anticipation did not distract them from the commission to preach the gospel or to spread it to all the nations of the world. As a matter of fact, their anticipation actually served to motivate their dedicated service. That's why Paul traveled throughout Asia Minor and desired to go to Rome. It's why Doubting Thomas went east to India to preach the gospel there. Followers of Christ 
who obtained and read the scriptures for themselves throughout the Dark Ages. That was a period of time when private Bible ownership was banned and translation was deemed a capital offense. They realized that the promise of Jesus' return is intrinsically linked to the gospel message. Anyone who believes the Bible's consistent testimony, reading and heeding in the words of Revelation, understands that he's coming soon. Over the past few years, I've begun collecting books and tracts from the turn of the last century. Just over a hundred years ago, faithful Christians were excited about what they understood would come to pass relatively soon in human history, prior to World War One. And then again, just before World War II, there was that flurry of anticipation. Christian authors sensed that prophetic signs were vastly multiplying. At the turn of the past century, a lot of Christians wrote about a growing anticipation of God's prophetic promises soon being fulfilled. Several even expressed a belief that God would somehow motivate the Jewish people to return to their ancient homeland. Although the Jews were dispersed around the world and integrated in various places like France, Germany, Poland, and Russia, they foresaw a time when the Jewish, the Jewish dysphoria would clamor to go home. Because that's what Ezekiel foretold. Their faith was not diminished by the implausibility of resurrecting a Jewish state in the midst of a hostile Muslim world, or the possession of the Holy Land by a Turkish-based caliphate. They simply accepted the word of God and looked forward to the fulfillment ultimately, of all its promises. In his booklet, The Coming Dictator and Is Jesus Coming Back, that was published in 1934, William Edward Beardwolf described the coming Antichrist and his anticipation of Jesus' soon return. He cited Henry Alford, a renowned Greek scholar at Cambridge University, and Dean of Canterbury, who wrote this, The majority, both in number and in learning and research, adopt the premillennial advent, following, as it seems to me, the plain and undeniable sense of the sacred text of the Bible itself. R. I. Humbert was another prolific writer, who discerned that he was living on the cusp of prophetic events long anticipated by Christians that were faithful. His 1934 booklet, God's Man and Satan's Man in Conflict, contains the word of his testimony. He wrote this, If we are living in the latter times, and I'm convinced we are, then soon we can expect the Jews to return to the promised land and dwell safely, all of them. Humbert went on to offer another insight. He wrote, Kings may argue, write letters, and send notes, but the last thing they do before the battle is to recall their ambassadors. For many centuries, God has had his ambassadors on earth calling men to be ye reconciled to God. 
as we find in 2 Corinthians 5.20. But just before the strife comes out into the open, God will call His ambassadors home. In our study of our role as ambassadors, we've seen that believers of the church age are identified as ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We're called to serve as ambassadors, those who are representatives of God's kingdom to an estranged world, that is, one who serves in the court of another. But our soon-returning king will recall us before he declares war on the earth and begins to pour out his wrath upon it. Until then, as his ambassadors, we should be about his business day by day. There are two objectives that Bible prophecy should accomplish. First, informing us about God's plan for the future so that we know what to do. And secondly, motivating us to service as we understand that the recall could occur at any moment. Our text for today needs a little bit of grammatical correction for us to understand its relevance to our study. Charity is from the Greek word agape, which means a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless of the response. Agape never faileth. That word faileth is an interesting term. It's borrowed from the Greek theater. It's referring to an actor being hissed off the stage. This self-sacrificial love of agape love is never hissed off the stage. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Shall fail is translated from the Greek word, which means to be abolished as the norm and standard. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. That is, they shall cease of themselves. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Or again, it shall be abolished as the norm and standard. He said, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect... That's teleon in the Greek. That which is complete is come. Then that which is in part shall be done away. Again, the same word shall be abolished as the norm and standard. The three phases, they shall fail, it shall vanish away, and shall be done away, are all translated from the same Greek word. Katerge thesentai meaning they will be abolished as the norm and standard. The form of the word is the same in the first and the third usage. Prophecies be done away. Uh, And that phrase, they are going to be abolished. The form of the second usage is the singular, one different Greek letter, that makes it singular instead of plural. So the first and the third messages are plural, but the second, related to knowledge, is singular. So the same word is used. That these things, there's coming a time when these spiritual gifts were to be abolished. Well, the completion of the Word of God helps take care of that. 
the spiritual gifts of prophecy and knowledge were to be abolished as the normal standard for receiving prophecy and gaining knowledge or doctrine when the complete prophecy and doctrine was given. The book of Revelation closes all prophecy in 95-96 A.D. So the gift of prophecy was abolished as the normal standard for knowing what God was going to do in the future in 95-96 A.D. There are no new prophecies after that point, according to Revelation 22-19. Where are we today in God's calendar? Each generation since the ascension of Christ has anticipated the rapture to occur in their lifetime. The primary reason for that expectation is because there are no specific signs given to us to pinpoint Christ's return for the church. We have the seven letters to the seven churches that give us a general view, but each period of the church age has been for a different length of time. Today, we simply await the rapture. Related to the prophetic calendar revealed to us in Revelations chapters 2 and 3, we have at least some characterizations of the progress and the regress of the church until the Lord comes. We previously noted that there's no specific event that is revealed in the Bible prophecy to pinpoint the time of the rapture. We're given some characteristics of society, but nothing real specific. The most revealing information is in the seven phases of the church age that we have examined in chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation, which portray the characteristics of the church leading up to the rapture. We had the desired one characterized as the first love by the Ephesian church during the first century. And then we had the church characterized by persecution under ten different Roman emperors, the Sumerian church. And then we had Satan's infiltration into the church through an illicit marriage under under Constantine, the Pergamus Church. That was followed by the corruption of doctrine in the period known as the Thyatirian period of church history. And then God called out a remnant from the perverted doctrine of the infiltrated church, and we went into the Sardis period of the church, the Reformation. The restoration of the doctrine of grace led to worldwide evangelism and two major spiritual awakenings during what we have identified as the Philadelphian period of the church. But once again, the church was compromised and humanism replaced regeneration and the Laodicean period of the lukewarm milk toast Christianity ushered in the period of the church age in about 1945-1950, the Laodicean age. We're in the final stage of the church 
as prophesied by our Lord. In addition to this panoramic prophetic view of impending church history, the New Testament also includes some additional signals for us in the writings of the epistles as well as in the teaching of Christ with regard to his stewardship parables. What the Apostle Paul had to say is worthy of note this morning. We said in our earlier introduction to this series that our focus first was going to be on the prophecies regarding the rapture because those writings are specific for the church. While the book of Revelation, other than the second and third chapters, deals with the completion of the age of Israel with the church already being in heaven during that time. So having set forth the basics, we'll now see what the Apostle Paul had to say concerning end times. This is what Paul had to say about prophecy related to us and what we should be doing in regard to such prophecy. So hang on, here we go. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. The expectation and faith shall see us through. Paul wrote, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why did he yet, doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We are notified it's time to put on Christ. And then in Romans chapter 14, verses 9 through 12, we shall all give an account before God. The scripture says, For this end Christ hath died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? 
Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So we need to be producing non-combustible works, works that are committed under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor exit, uh, ex, extortioners, get it out, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Only righteous inherit the kingdom And it's not our own righteousness, but His righteousness that makes us acceptable. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28, we are told about the resurrection and the order of that. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith put all, that all things are put under him, it's manifested that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 42 through 49, Paul continues to reveal the future to us. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and after that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. In First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58, he speaks of the doctrine of resurrection as a mystery. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul continues in his second epistle in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, concerning resurrection being our source for enduring. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. He continues in Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul continues to give us information concerning the future. Talking about our works. 
Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Paul indicates these shall all perish. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, we are sealed unto redemption. He says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul speaks concerning the result of resurrection will be our appearance with Christ in glory. He said, when Christ, who is your life, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, serve heartily under the Lord is the encouragement of Paul as he writes, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. In First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul once again refers to this as in First Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 he writes, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13 To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul continues to speak of the future in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 through 18. But I would not, I would have you not to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, as he encourages us to wake up so that the coming of our Lord does not surprise us. He said, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. 
For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 through 24, Paul identifies the proper conduct then for believers that are awaiting the rapture. He said, see that none render for evil unto any man, but every, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. In his second epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul writes concerning vengeance and rest while we wait for the Lord. He says, which is manna, a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of God and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Paul continues in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, as he gives us information concerning the rapture of the church. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away 
first. Well, the Greek's a little more specific. Except there come the snatching away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you of these things? And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should be a, believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And then Paul's first letter to Timothy in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 where he admonishes faithfulness until the return of Christ. He says, But thou, O man of God, flee those things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed the good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords in Paul's second letter to Timothy he speaks about the difficulty of the times that are ahead until the rapture of the church he said this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, 
for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, sacrificial love, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom you learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then the final writing that we have of the apostle concerning the prophetic future, he wrote to Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, as he speaks about the blessed hope. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So as we look through a summary of Paul's writings concerning the future, He says, first of all, we need to have expectations and faith which will see us through as we understand the Word of God. And so he says, it is time for us to put on Christ. He reminds us that we should give an account of ourselves before God. We are instructed to produce non-combustible works, gold, silver, and precious stone, instead of wood, hay, and stubble. We are told that only the righteous will inherit the kingdom and that it's God's righteousness credited to our account through Jesus Christ that gives us salvation. We are told that every believer is going to be raised in the resurrection in his own order. He speaks of the resurrection body being sown as a natural body but raised a spiritual body. He identifies the doctrine of resurrection as a mystery. Musterion is the Greek word. It identifies information known only to those in the structure of the organization, this organization, the church. He identifies then the doctrine of resurrection as being the motivating factor for our endurance. He speaks of resurrection, a time of accounting, as well as receiving reward. He identifies that the works of the flesh will perish. 
but He reminds us we are sealed until the day of redemption. He identifies resurrection resulting in our appearing with Christ in glory. And so we are admonished to serve heartily as unto the Lord. He presents a summary of signs of the times and identifies that we'll be rewarded for the fruit of our ministry. He identifies there needs to be in our life then holiness before God at His coming. He also indicates the resurrection of church-age believers is a reality. So he says, wake up, so that day does not surprise us. He identifies the proper conduct of the believer awaiting the rapture. He speaks of the reality that vengeance and rest are ahead of us, but we must await the rapture. And then he identifies the snatching away of the church in the rapture. And as a result of that, he encourages us to be faithful till Christ appears. Then he identifies the different times of difficulty that are ahead, but none that he can't take care of. Finally, he says we need to be looking for that blessed hope. We live in the Laodicean period of the church age. The next great prophetic event will be the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18, we read previously, says, For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. From the rapture we go to the judgment seat and from there to the wedding and the consummation of the relationship of the church with Christ. After seven years, we return with Christ to the earth for the wedding feast, which is identified as the millennial reign of Christ, which is, in effect, the fulfillment of the prophetic teaching of the Feast of Tabernacles. Today is the day of salvation, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. But it all begins at salvation. For the Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Titus 2.14, Paul wrote, Speaking of Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. God bless.